I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode is going to be a quick one. I'm not feeling the greatest, and I'll tell you all about it. But um, I watched the first episode of Worst Roommate Ever, and I want to talk about it. But first, let me talk about why I'm feeling horrible. So many of you know, I think I've shared, um, I know I've shared on several episodes, um, probably over the last six months, but I have been on, my husband and I have been on a fertility journey, um, trying to have um, children actively since last uh, uh, January, January 2021. Um, and due to a number of different reasons, mostly, um, fertility issues with both of us biologically, um, you know, we, we are at the point now where we are at IVF and fun fact, many couples experience, uh, infertility issues. I think, I think the standard is if you're trying, if you're actively trying to become pregnant, um, and you've been trying for six months that's when you're moving into the infertility territory or fertility issue territory. Before that, you're just trying. Um, and there are a number of different natural boosters out there that will allow your um, your chances to be improved for men eating. I heard eating um, walnuts is really good um, for men and for women just eating healthier and, and exercising well and, and de-stressing, not, not exercising to the point where it's high impact exercising, but like low impact exercising, eating well and trying to keep your stress level down are all really wonderful ways for you to, um, improve your, well, and the husband or the person that your partner to, um, you know, exercising as well, low exercise, Cotton briefs, not boxer briefs. What is what? Cotton boxers, not bo- boxer brief. Well, what is it? Not the tight ones, but the loose undies. I can't. I can't think right now. I'm. I'm not feeling well. Um, but like loose boxers. Yeah. Whatever. That wearing that and nothing that constricts, um, his uh, private area, um, or their private area. Um, you know, and even women like you not. And again, I'm sorry to gender all of this. You get what I mean. Folks who can't have kids, well, who who can deliver, you know what I mean. I'm not trying to be weird or cringy. I'm not trying to alienate anybody. I just can't think of words right now. Um, Anyway, so yeah, there are a lot of things that you can do to increase your chances of um, you as a couple becoming pregnant. Um, But again, like, it, despite what you see on TV, despite what you hear in passing, it's like a perfect, it, it has to be a perfect storm in order for you to be become pregnant. There's so many things that have to be on point for folks who can um, deliver kids, um, grow and deliver kids. Um, no, people with a uterus, that's what it is. People with a uterus, um, fertility tracking, ovulation tracking is important, especially if you're um, cycle is regular, then you should also be able to regularly track your, um, 
ovulation period to uh, ovulation time frame. So you want to start doing that. Um, but for those of you who like, let's just say you're living with a condition that I have, I'm living with PCOS, which Google it, it's a um, hormonal issue or it's a hormonal condition where you don't have regular periods. And because you don't have regular periods, you couldn't possibly tell, or it's hard for you to gauge when you are ovulating too. And, um, you know, I've had it, probably had it since I was a teenager, it developed when I was a teenager, but I wasn't checking for becoming pregnant as a teen. I wasn't even checking for it in my 20s. It was only in my middle to late 30s now that I've actually begun um, checking for it. And that's when I was officially diagnosed. I was actually officially diagnosed by my fertility doctor that I have now. Um, that was back in 2017. She was like, yeah, boo. Based on all this stuff that, I, that I'm witnessing and that I'm, you know, the blood test, ain't nothing wrong with you. You just got a hormonal imbalance called PCOS. That's it. These, uh, and PCOS is where your cysts develop on your ovaries as well. A side effect of PCOS is irregular menstrual cycle um, and not being able to gauge when you're, men, um, when you're ovulating. But the, tell, the hallmark uh, of the condition is you having banal cysts on your ovary. They don't do anything, they just grow. And as a result, I think because of, as a result of the cysts, or maybe the cyst is a byproduct of you just having a hormonal balance, but like you often have too much testosterone, which you all, you, you probably don't know this, but your, your, your estrogen level contributes to whether or not you, your, your uh, cycle, right? And I know that some endocrinologists or some um, gynecologists are probably cringing right now because I'm not doing a great job of explaining um, PCOS or even <laughs> the uh, menstrual cycle uh, process, but basically your hormones, your homo- hormones increase, certain hormones increase as you are going through your cycle. And then they definitely like they decrease when you go through the cycle. And then some, while some hormones decrease, um, others increase significantly when you are ovulating. And those are the pregnancy hormones and Google pregnancy hormones. They'll tell you what those hormones are. But, um, yeah. And so my, so like without regulating my menstrual cycle, it's like a hit or miss sort of thing. And it, here's a hallmark of PCOS. It doesn't mean, this doesn't necessarily mean you're living with PCOS, but if you are in your thirties and you think you might, if you are a person with a uterus and you are approaching your thirties or you're in your thirties and you think you might want to give natural birth, go get checked now. If this is something that you're experiencing literally, and I'm not talking about a missed period, like 30 days. I'm talking about the longest that I've gone without having a cycle before I've started to be seen um, and get it regulated was, I think I had gone six months, six months. And I was not on birth control. I was on, on anything. Six months. And then when I finally did get my cycle, I was on my cycle for 10 days. And when I say I was on my cycle for 10 days, it was heavy bleeding. And I'm being graphic now, but it was heavy from like day two all the way to like day eight. Heavy. And that's not good. Now, here's the deal. 
that if you're if you are having heavier than normal cycles um because you know a, a typical cycle it's heavy on like day one maybe day two and then like it's maybe five days maybe it's three days depending um it's heavy on day two and then it slows down on day uh three or whatever and then day four and five you're moving into the to the medium to light to non-existent territory right mine would not behave like that and then yeah and when I say heavy I mean I needed to wear supers for like five days Mm -hmm. that was me now I recognize that there are other issues that a person with a uterus could be experiencing that would not necessarily be categorized as um PCOS but like could be other things too. So I guess just so as to not delay you and to not cause more stress, because one of the things in the fertility process, they have the nerve to say, be, don't de-stress, be stress-free. But like, if you are, you really want to become pregnant and you are not on like the first or second try, I don't know who you are, but it's, I would believe that it's only human for you to start freaking out just a little bit. But what I would say is take the worry out of that thing and then just go be seen. Start partnering with a clinician early so you don't even have to trip about it. And there are plenty of women, early tw- late 20s, early 30s, who go and they get their, um, oh, um, their eggs, uh, and I'm saying women, people with uterus, with a, people with a uterus, um, get their eggs frozen all the time. So you might not be ready for children now, but you might be ready for it later. And what they end up doing is they, yeah, well, I don't know the the process when you're not actively in IVF, but these folks are professionals and it might be better for you to just take them and freeze them. And and here's the deal. I know this sounds very businesslike and very non-organic, but I'm if I can prevent someone from feeling the distress that my husband and I have gone through, if I could prevent someone from feeling the just complete anxiety, because you, you, I cannot tell you how stressful and how many times I've cried. I'm getting emotional even now. How many times I have cried over something that is out of my control. My body does what it wants. Even with medicated, uh, medication assistance or, you know, it being regulated this last time before I started my IVF um, cycle, I went 79 days without a cycle. This was after I went through all the insurance clearances and my doctor was like, yep, it's time to to do this. It's time to do this. My husband and I were ready to go and we were thinking all of those things and and we had reached, you know, cleared the insurance hurdle and everybody's like, okay, go. My body decides, and in hindsight, this was a pattern, but my body decides to not menstruate and it was so frustrating um because it and there's nothing I could do about it except yeah because my doctors really wanted it to be natural and I'm over here tripping and stuff right because this is some this is not new this is something new to me and I'm like up until this point I had been I'd stopped taking birth control my doctor took me off birth control January 2021 And up until that point, for the most part, I didn't have much assistance at all. And my cycle, it had some hiccups, but it went back to quote unquote normal. 
And normal for me is every month. It might not have always been the exact same day every month, but it was happening every month for the first time in a very, very long time, probably not since high school, that my um, cycle was regular last within reason. Uh, Again, not free of hiccups, but then all of a sudden I'm just counting the days and it's like 79 days and then I have a cycle and I'm freaking out. And so, you know, I, what, I don't want anybody who thinks that they might want to have kids to not be prepared. And if you can avoid the stress that my hubby and I have gone through, I thought I, I did not share this, but I'm gonna be honest with you. When I'm talking about stress, I'm talking about if you have a uterus, if you guys are trying to have, if you guys, and I'm saying gender not specific, if y'all are trying to get pregnant, do you, I don't think you can, you are truly, you can't truly know the level of stress that a couple trying to conceive can go under. It's like relationship breaking stress. I'm through with all of this and you stress. I want to be somewhere else stress. That's what I'm talking about. That's how stressful it can be. And, and, and the longer you go through it. And, and the thing about it is that my hubby and I, again, we've been on it a, a year now, a year and, and a month now. And, and we're finally um, being able to do IVF. And I'll get to why we're able to do that in a minute. But there are couples who have been on it for longer, for on that journey for longer than hubby and I have. And or shorter and just said, forget it. I ain't doing this with you because again, I'm going to just be keep it a hundred percent real. You can, and this ain't nothing but the trick of the devil. If you don't believe it in, in Christ, just it, it, I'm not trying to shame you or anything like that, but I'm just saying it's a spiritual trick. However you believe or don't, it is a spiritual trick for you to be in a place where you're ready to go. You're told you're ready to go, but then your partner, something's wrong, quote unquote, wrong with your partner. You know, that's a mind baby. When I tell you that can mess with you so hard, this ain't for the weak. And even if you think you strong, you still need that support. You need a support system. You need to be able to talk with folks. You need to be able to talk with so talk with a licensed professional. You also need a home girl where you can just sit there and cuss with, or a home a person that you feel comfortable with that you can just will listen to you with the ups and downs of all this. I could. I'm telling you now. I don't think I would have been able to make it. My husband's outlet was cars, and still is cars. And even then, we went through a seriously rough patch because. There was a point right before I got clear, right before my doctor was like, yeah, it's time for IVF, where we were doing this thing called IUI. Again, it's an, it's an artificial reproductive, wait, what is it? What's ART stand for? Assisted reproductive treatment. So IUI is an assisted reproductive treatment where they take, they take your partner's um, sample and they inject it in um, you while you're fertile, basically, just to see if it works. And many couples do that. My, I, I know, listen, 
When I tell you, when I opened up and I started talking about the journey my husband and I were going on, women, people with uterus were popping out of the woodwork because so many people and and people who have, people who have male genitalia, how about that? Go through infertility as well. For myriad reasons, do you know that there's a vein, that there could be a vein that, that heats up the, the, and I'm getting real, real here. So I'm gonna put a little disclaimer in the chat, in the, in the message, um, in the notes for this thing, but there is a vein that could heat up the sample too much and essentially kill it, making it impossible for you all to conceive. That ain't got, that's not their fault. It's literally not their fault. There's a medication for it. Like there's also an instance where the count is low, but only because for whatever reason, it's going back up into the member. Like for real, nothing. This is the, I can't do junk. I, I didn't, I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like you could, you could, you could live your life and quote unquote be, the, you know, a runner for the folk, either one of you could be a runner for the folk and have gotten contracted myriad different, um, intercourse related illnesses. And that could, you could blame it on that. Or you could literally be walking down the street doing absolutely nothing and wake up one day. And when you go to try to conceive, you find that you cannot because of some issue that is completely out of your control and then you need to spend all the time going to the urologist hubby had to go to the urologist um i'm sitting up here going to the doctor all the time they're running blood tests on all of us but in the beginning in the beginning the panel of blood tests that they ran on my hubby and i were a lot when i tell you when i went to my regular my pcp my primary care uh physician they literally took one look at my chart and was like, oh, so let me not make you undergo too many tests because you didn't been through a lot. And it was true. The very first time I sat down and gave blood work, they took four vials of blood for me because that's how many tests. And each, excuse me, they took four vials, but each of the four vials had like four different tests they were running. Because at this point, like you, you walking into this with your eyes open. And so they want to test for everything. Right. And so, you know, so anyway, so how did we get to the point where you went to IVF? Well, that's not a, it's a straight line, but it's not an instantly, ooh, boom, IVF. If you didn't know, IVF is a last resort, unless there are, you're living with medical, you're living with a medical history that makes it that dictates without question, you have to use IVF. Usually what happens is your doctors, and this is what happened to hubby and I, we tried naturally first under doctor's watch. Then we tried, um, IUI, which is, I forgot the, what the acronym means, but it's basically another form of, um, assisted reproductive treatment. Um, and, and again, I told you what it is, take a sample from your partner and insert it with the hopes that inserted right around when you're ovulating with the hopes that it, it it's inserted on ovulation day um, and you're able to conceive. Um, but that didn't work for me and it doesn't always work for everybody. 
And for your insurance, if your insurance covers uh, fertility treatments, you usually get six. Um, this is the United States. I don't know what other medical systems or insurance systems are like across the globe, but in the United States, you usually get um, six. You're covered for six of those sessions. Um, but we didn't go through six. We went through three. And then my doctor was like, nah, it's time for IVF. Um, so I actually got clearance for IVF back in November. Um, but I didn't want to go through IVF over Christmas because the center was only going to be open on certain times of the, the, you know, certain times of the week due to the holidays, um, in December and I was going to be traveling and I just didn't want to do and COVID and all of that stuff. I just didn't want to do it. So my plan was to wait until January to do it. But as I told you, my, uh, cycle did not come. My, my, I had my last cycle in November, right after Thanksgiving. And then I didn't have another one until the, uh, the 9th of February. And so for two months, I'm like any day now, any day. Well, actually, no, I didn't start to trip until it didn't come around Christmas. And I was like, okay, any day now, any day. So after Christmas through February, through January, I was tripping hard because I'm like, okay, so this is what my body's about to do. Because when, when I miss, like, I don't miss just like 30 days. When my cycle is off, it's off by some months. And I knew that because that had been the pattern my whole, well, my whole adult life anyway, that that had been the pattern that if I'm going to, if I don't get it in the, that 30 day time frame, it's going to be a couple of months because that's how my body naturally works. And then after I got my cycle, I was reminded, you know, I was reminded that the way my body has worked over the years, the cycles where I'm, what there's a, there's a phrase for not having your cycle and I forgot it, but if you Google it, it'll come up for you. But usually my body, if I'm stressed out or whatever, it's usually around, um, December, January time where I miss, and then it'll kick back up sometime in February. And so my body was right on target. It's just, it was the, it was poor timing because I could not start my treatment without um, having a cycle. And so, so anyway, so I finally got it and I was able to, to begin it. And the reason why I feel like garbage right now is because I, um, did egg retrieval on, uh, the time, the, the Tuesday. Um, so this is the, the, I'm, I'm recording this on release day, which is Thursday. My egg retrieval was on Tuesday and I took more medication, a, a particular type of medication. I took more than they wanted me to. And so I'm in danger of developing this condition called OHSS, which is not a condition that you want to have. And it's, it's basically just overstimulation of your uh, ovaries, which can cause you to just feel sick all the doggone time. And so I, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow because I don't think I've developed OHSS, but I'm definitely still not feeling great um, following the procedure. It's, and it is a procedure. They have to um, put you under anesthesia um, in order to retrieve your eggs. It's, it's painful. Um, 
And then they gave me Oxy the next day. No, they gave me the Oxy the same day. I took it and I guess I didn't realize that it was Oxy and it's fast release. And so I didn't realize that I could not, I needed to eat first before taking it. And so as a result, I got sick and I couldn't keep any of the food. First off, I broke my fast. Cause they tell you when you're going through, you know, any major procedure, they tell you at a certain point you need to stop eating. And so I hadn't eaten since like eight the night before the eight o'clock on Monday. And my, my uh, procedure wasn't until seven 30 the next day. So I already, you know, it was right around the time where I should have been eating. So I didn't actually end up eating it until noon and when I ate at noon or just after noon, I broke my fast with freaking Burger King nuggets and fries, which, oh my goodness, that's what I wanted though. That's what I had a taste for. And so anyway, so I broke my fast with, with that garbage food. And so I'm thinking, oh, I just got a little tummy grumblings. Well, also the issue was that I took, essentially I took Oxy for the pain because I was uncomfortable. To say the very least, I was uncomfortable. Um, so I took it, but I took it while I was eating, which was probably not a good idea because then I started to get sick. So while, and and by the way, that oxy, I didn't feel anything like no, no ache, no pain, no nothing, no crick in my neck, no nothing, which I can appreciate why people can get, um, addicted to that because boy, do you not feel any pain whatsoever? Um, so anyway, but yeah, I got sick as a dog. And so obviously the, the Chick-fil-A, did, or not, I, I wish I would have gotten Chick-fil-A. Well, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, the BK didn't last long in my system. And then I just kept anything I drank. I couldn't keep it down. And I blame it all on the Oxy. So I stopped taking it because first off, this pain, it's uncomfortable, but it's not like my leg is broken in 30 places broke, uh, uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable. It feels like, to be honest with you, it feels like really bad menstrual cramps. That's what it feels like. And I don't take Oxy for really bad menstrual cramps. So I actually, to be honest with you, I'm not on any pain medication at the moment. Um, and haven't been since I took that Oxy because I don't, I want to keep my food down. So I was too scared to eat. So I ordered, um, last night I ordered, um, some ramen and I had a little, no, not last night, the, the Tuesday, I ordered some ramen and I had a little bit of it. Cause again, I'm scared to keep it down. I kept it down yesterday. I was feeling okay. I was just, I, I can't walk very fat quickly. I have to walk very carefully. Um, yeah, I have to walk very carefully because again, it just feels like somebody was jumbling up my insides. Cause that's essentially what they did. Um, and plus I over-medicated myself. And so I'm bloated as all get out. Cause I have fluid. It's, it's naturally subsiding, but like, I'm just uncomfortable. And then, um, so this morning I wake up after having eaten more of my soup. Cause I got froggy last night and I was like, well, let me k- try to kill this soup. And of course I couldn't cause it was just too much of it. So I put it up. And I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, all right, so far so good. And then my stomach just started to gripe again. And I'm just like, oh boy, so I'm not on pain medication. And so my gripey stomach is kind of intensifying all of the pain. And I'm trying to walk to get some air and drink some water, 
but I can't walk fast because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still in recovery. And so, oh, basically somebody called me a cab, even though I'm already home. I just, oh, I just need somebody to take me away. <laughs> anyway, so I'm just coming off of a nauseous spell. So I'm not nauseous, any, nauseous, nauseous, no, nauseous nauseous. I'm not nauseous anymore, but I'm definitely feeling weak. I haven't eaten. I'm scared to eat, but at the same time, I'm hungry and I'm still sore. So that's why I'm not feeling great. But, um, the good news about, um, the ovary, uh, ovary retrieval, the egg retrieval is that they collected a ton of eggs. And if you understand IVF, I did ICSI. And ICSI is where they literally take your, your partner's sample and they insert it into the egg. So they're not waiting for chance. They said, no, nah, you, you finna get this work. And so they insert it and then they watch it grow. And so they retrieved, they retrieved a lot of eggs from me. And then of the eggs that they retrieved, a certain number in the teens, they were able to fertilize and now they're just waiting. They're just waiting um, for those eggs to mature to, I think it's blastocene um, phase. And then the best two eggs, the best two looking blastocenes, they're going to, um, they're, they're good. Well, they're going to freeze all of it, but the, be- the best two they're going to unthaw and inject in me, or uh, inseminate me with, um, when I have my next cycle, which they're going to induce within reason my next cycle, because again, don't want to take no chances, but anyway, so yeah, so fun fact, I, I might, we'll see, we'll see. It might be happening this month, might have to try it again in the next couple of months, but I'm feeling, even though in spite of everything, in spite of how I feel at the moment, I am pleased as punch, to say the very least. I'm pleased as punch where we are right now. I thought this day would never come. I'm a pessimist in most times. In most cases, when it comes to me, like when it comes to other people, I'm super, I'm eternally optimistic. When it comes to me, I'm supremely pessimistic. And that's something I need to talk with my therapist about. But anyway, I'm just pleased as punch, cautiously optimistic, that, you know, something might happen. And, and y'all send up some good prayers and thoughts and send some love toward hubby because he has to go through all of this with me and all of my ups and downs and stuff. When I over-medicated myself, I just knew that Jesus, Jesus was coming to take me home soon. And I was red, I was dressed and I was about to take myself to the hospital. And my baby got dressed with me and then just sat on the bed and was like, well, let's just see if, if you start to develop symptoms, then we'll go. But like, you don't feel anything right now. Do you know But it's coming? And he's like, okay, well, let's just see. But the, the patience of Job, my baby has. I, I mean, the patience of freaking Job. Anyway, um, so, I, and then I was like, well, he was like, well, you know, why don't you call, you know, poison control. So of course I called poison control. And poison control was like, well, girl, you ain't finna die, but... Your, um, cause what I took too much of was a particular medication that was my trigger shot. And because of my unique 
I, I'm living with PCOS. There was a particular cocktail for me that my doctor prescribed it like a dum-dum. I just wasn't paying attention. I thought I was, I read the bottle and not my doctor's handwritten note. And so I took what was prescribed on the bottle, not what my doctor told me to take. And that's when I thought, oh, for sure, I didn't kill myself for sure. It's, it's it. That's it. That's it. Ain't no more me. Forget your reproductive. And then again, my husband was like, baby, breathe. It was like, nah, nah, forget that. That's over with. That's over, you know, so. And he tried to get me to eat, and I was like, no, forget that. And then also the fertility medication kind of takes your appetite. And so, yeah, I've just been a mess these last couple of days. So uh, pray my strength. Send me good thoughts. <laughs> um, I'm not freaking out right now. I'm just uncomfortable right now. Like, again, my stomach doesn't hurt, but, like, I'm uncomfortable and I'm hungry. But I'm scared to eat. But anyway, it'll all be worth it. It'll all be worth it. And I am pleased, and I'm also tired. I have not been sleeping well. That's the other thing. I have not been sleeping well because I'm carrying extra weight around my stomach. Um, And also just been worrying about doing the right thing and blah, 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 blah. So I cannot wait until this weight comes off and then I can resume a normal sleep schedule. I only woke up twice last night. So that's, that's good. And I didn't, when I woke up, I'm, push myself to go right back to sleep. So, you know, I still think this is all worth it. I just, it's uncomfortable in the moment. But anyway, I just wanted to let you in on that in case I bless somebody with this knowledge. And again, I reiterate, I know some of you are teenagers at this point and you're not thinking about having kids, but dear, if you at any point think you might, It is so important that you are looking into things and taking precautions, excuse me, taking precautions now because we don't want you to be in your late 30s and now you're dealing with all these other things that worry you around um, becoming a parent. So anyway, if you are in your middle to late 20s now, Start talking to, start talking to a fertility specialist now and start talking through your options. You'll thank me later, for real. And if you are a person that um, has male organs, please start talking to your doctor now, talking through irregularities, talking through all of it, have an honest conversation. What my daddy say? You'll never lie, two people, you'll never lie to the tax man and your doctor. So go and tell some truth to your doctor. Say, I'm not, I'm not thinking about doing it now, but I just want to test some things to make sure that when the time comes that I can be in the best possible place for my partner. Um, and start going through all of that now because Lord knows the stress level. Better for you to know it now and then to know what you need to do when you're ready than for you to be completely blindsided by everything and stressed out. That's not fun for anybody. So anyway, all right, enough about that. Um, I do want to switch gears and talk about um, Worst Roommate Ever, the first episode. Um, And at first I didn't realize that this was a series. I thought it was just, you know, about this one particular person. 
um, that the first episode was about, but then obviously I saw that it was multi-episode series. Um, but this case hits home for me on so many different levels. I don't personally know anybody that's ever lived in a halfway house or any sort of treatment facility, like residential treatment program. But in my line of work, I've come across several residential treatment or halfway houses or sober living houses in the greater metropolitan Baltimore area. And I've had feelings about them over the years. And so like this episode, Call Me Grandma is like the worst version of some of the stuff that I know happens at some of these houses. So in the next um, segment, I'm going to talk all about Worst Roommate Ever, Episode 1, Call Me Grandma, as it relates to my experience with recovery houses, residential treatment programs, and um, assisted livings, and all of that. So, and then I'll also talk about the, the main idea for this episode. All right, so stay tuned. All right, so the story, the first episode of Worst Roommate Ever, which, by the way, is such a very millennial title. Worst Roommate Ever. That, that sounds like a, like a, a Reddit title or like, um, I don't know, like a social media title. But anyway, um, so the first episode, Call Me Grandma, um, a woman no- known as Dorothea Puente runs a boarding house for those less fortunate, but her seeming benevolence belies dark motives. Okay, so long story short, this, this, uh, this case, this real life case happened in the 80s where this woman, who seemingly older woman, converts her home into a, not quite, a, it's something like a sober living house, Something like, uh, yeah, probably the best way I could describe it is a sober living house where folks who either court mandated or their family just needs them to um, get their lives together as a means to helping them on the road to recovery, send them to this residential treatment facility or this residential house where their actions are for the most part monitored by the keeper of the house, which in this, this um, situation is Dorothea Puente. And, um, you know, the comings and goings are monitored and they kick in to pay rent. So they, they don't totally have autonomy. They do have responsibilities, though. Um, and it's all designed to help keep them, in this instance, free of alcohol, free of alcohol and drugs. I think it was a sober living house, so free of alcohol. And many of the folks in the um, house tended to be older folks who were you know, didn't have a lot of money. So that was a draw for them being in the home and didn't, what weren't able at that point to care for themselves outside of this, the sober living home. And so houses like this in a nutshell are all over Baltimore city, dotted all over Baltimore city and Baltimore County. I would dare say that houses like this are all over every major metropolitan city in the United States. I don't know if this is this model is is copied 
in other countries. I just know that in every major city, you're going to find sober living houses, drug treatment, residential homes, and things like that. And one of the reasons why you find this is because there's a need for it. A lot of folks are low income, so they can't go to like a drug treatment facility and live there for months. They don't have the, the their insurance doesn't cover it. They don't have the personal wealth um, or they're not independently wealthy and their family isn't either. So they end up being connected to these homes that are affordable, that still give them the feeling that they're living in a house because they are living in a house and they do have some responsibilities because they have to kick in on utilities and rent. But they're also living in a community of folks that will help keep them honest about whatever they're living with. In this case, it's um, their alcohol dependency. And so that is, in a nutshell, the reason why houses like this thrive, because there's such a demanding need for them. And so I'll give Baltimore as an example. When I first moved here, I worked for an organization that basically helped, helped get food to churches and community centers and schools who were trying to help eliminate hunger or at least stand in the gap and provide food resources for their families and clients and community members that they supported. Um, And so in doing so, what ended up happening is these organizations became partners with my organization that I worked with. And it was my job to basically monitor those organizations to make sure they were using the food like they, according to, according to um, our agreement. And so I found myself going and doing site visits on churches, community centers, synagogues, um, also actually all sorts of religious spaces, every type of religious um, center you could think of. I did a monitoring. I monitored them. And for the most part, it was every once in a while, you, you go and you monitor um, a partner and they're not using the food. They're using the food for personal, for, for the staff or for their own personal use, right? And that's frowned upon because you're supposed to be getting this to feed folks who otherwise would have a hard time finding a meal. And so anyway... But yeah, you could be above board and living any, you know, doing anything or doing this in any sort of organization as long as it was it was serving the people. And so what ended up happening is I ended up monitoring several residential excuse me, residential drug treatment facilities, sober living houses, um uh, and assisted livings. Those were the three types of, um, excuse me, houses that I monitored in my time at my old job. And so one of the things that I came away with was how, and I'm going to be a hundred percent blunt with you because this is just how my mind thinks. My first experience with monitoring these agencies taught me a couple of things. Number one, the Baltimore metro area made it super easy for individuals to create these residential housing situations. And two, that not everybody who was who opened up these homes had the best of intentions. Because three, 
because the people who frequented these homes didn't have a whole lot of money on their own because they couldn't hold down a job for whatever reason, they were able to use their Medicaid. What is it? Is it Medicaid or Medicaid? I think it's Medicaid. Cade. Medicaid, whatever, um, their medical assistance to pay for room and board. And so add to the, so it's dumb easy to open up one of these homes to pass inspection and all, you know, get your licensure. I mean, if you want to hustle, you can make it happen. So it's dumb easy to open these things. You, um, you can be unscrupulous when you're doing so. And the, some of your, your many of your clients, most of your clients anyway, are paying with the money that they get from the government, the med- the, from a medical assistance. And sometimes in order to do that, they literally sign over their money to you. That is rife for abuse. ripe for abuse. And that was a, that was a conclusion I came to a couple of months into beginning to monitoring organizations like this, because it would never fail when I would go there for whatever reason, they got this partnership with my organization. But by the time I got on board, I'm like, y'all are using this, these products to, to impact your bottom line. You don't want to spend money or you don't want to spend a lot of money providing food and resources. So what you're doing is getting food as cheaply as you can so you can pocket the rest. That's certainly what a lot of these these places were doing. And I'm sure, yeah, yeah, they were essentially just skimming from their clients, scrimping, literally getting food from charity organizations getting supplies from other charity organizations so that they could help their bottom line. Again, some unscrupulous people were working these things and thought nothing of it and got heartlessly upset when I'm like, you are not, you're using this food for your clients who are paying to be here, which means you got the money. You're getting the money to do these things. You just don't want to. You're just trying to impact your bottom line. And we can't be a part of that. So when I would go and I would end their partnership, of course, they would call on me and complain. But at the end of the day, my decision would still stand because I laid out the case quite flat. This is what it is. They are not an organization deserving of our resources. But I'm quite sure that if they when they walked away from my organization, they went they walked to another one where they could help the bottom line. Cause at the end of the day, they were making some money and I can't prove how much money they were making, but I could prove in this instance, they were trying to help their bottom line by spending less money to get more re- resources to feed their, um, to feed the clients. And so anyway, so when I watched this, call me grandma and I recognized that Dorothea P- Puente, what is it? Puente. Dorothea Puente was alleged for doing half the stuff she was charged with doing. It didn't surprise me in the least 
Because if in the 2000s, in the late 2000s, 2010s, I concluded that it was super easy for folks to not only establish these treatment facilities or these housing facilities in the metropolitan Baltimore area, but also skim from their clients, I'm sure it was even easier back in the 80s when there were less regulations. When the attitudes were like, just get these people off the street and there was not much compassion there, you know what I mean? Where there weren't a ton of regulatory agencies that were checking up on them. And so what is Dorothea Puente alleged to do? Well, a couple of things. So remember how I told you it was dumb easy to establish one of these houses? Well, another aspect of a reason why it's dumb easy is because Dorothea had a criminal background. And just because you have a criminal background, that shouldn't automatically preclude you from turning your life around and doing good. But in this instance, she was she had a criminal background in scamming people. So do you think a scammer is the best person? Someone with a, with, someone with a scamming background is the best person to be your front person for opening up a home where the participants or the clients are literally turning over their, their Medicare checks to you. She literally went to prison for scamming people out their money. And so she gets out and she opens this home um, which acted as a, it was a sober living home. It acted as a sober living house. And I mean, there's not a heck of a lot to, it's a pretty straight line. So you have these hard, you, you ha- get this commentary from police officials and then family members and then a case manager who was really just trying to track their loved ones who were going in this house. The house that One of the things about these houses is that they're unassuming. They are literally in a residential neighborhood. They look like the other houses in the area. Um, The only difference is you see a whole lot more people coming in and out of them. Um, And so in this setup, she had this house where she had so many people living in the home and, and the people that were living in the home had glowing reviews of her, but come to find out, she was coercing them into saying positive things. And secretly, she was scamming these people out of their money. Um, And one of the ways that she kept up this image and did this is she aged herself significantly. Um, When they say, call me grandma, that was what she wanted people to call her. But this woman, this woman was in her 50s but made herself look like she was in her late 60s and 70s. Why? Because she was a grifter and she was trying, she was a confidence woman. So she was trying to get people to buy into this image of her as a sweet old lady while she was scamming from them up under their noses. And so again, how would she do it? She would get these people in the house and she would take their money and float costs um, by getting food and other resources from other places. And then she would donate a lot of clothes and money to charity. Mostly a lot of clothes, though. When you watch this episode, you'll come to know where she got the clothes from. And based on, based on how I'm speaking, I imagine you can kind of gather where she got the clothes from. But then also, it's not bad enough where she got the clothes from and that she was skimming money from 
scamming her, not scamming. In this case, she wasn't skimming. She was scamming her um, tenants out of their money. She was also doing something else. Something else. And, and I'll, I'll um, no, I won't, I won't let that spoiler go. But I've told you a lot, but I haven't told you everything. There's this one other thing that this woman, woman was doing that was wholly sinister. But money is the root of all evil. And I'll leave it at that. So because it was the 80s, I'll take it like this. Because it was the 80s, she was living in this place. This um, story took place in uh, California. And again, it was take, it took place in the 80s. So there were a whole lot less regulations in place than there are now. Even though I submit to this day that these residential programs... They're just perfect for scammers. They're absolutely perfect for scammers because their clients are literally making the residential managers their payees. What's a payee? A payee, in the case of a person that gets a check um, for medical purposes, they need a payee or someone to pay their bills because they are not trusted themselves to handle their affairs in an appropriate manner, which feels very trifling. But anyway, but also it's, it's the assumption is that whomever is your payee will do right by you and not withhold money from you, will pay your bills and then just turn the money over to you when you need it. But what ends up happening is payees skim off the top. You don't know how much money you're getting, not really. And so, they give you, they, when they give you money, they tell you, oh, this is what you got. And you believe them because you have no other choice. What do you have to compare it to? So that's what's present now. So just imagine back in the 80s, she got whole checks. We're probably able to take whole checks from these individuals um, because she was providing room and board. And so, but yeah, but her scams go beyond... Well, actually, she concocted this opportunity. Again, she, she was created this persona where she was a grandma, even though you can be a grandma in your 50s, but, like, she dyed her hair gray so that she could be dyed her hair gray, wore certain clothes, and wore certain glasses that aged her on purpose. And so while she was aged, she was able to be even an even bigger grifter because she was gaining the confidence or trust of the community. And she ended up being seen as a pillar of the community. And while she was perpetrating as a pillar of the community, she was also doing some very dastardly things. So watch that episode. Again, this is on Netflix. Uh, it's, a part of the, it's the part of the Worst Roommate Ever series, the very first episode And I think it's actually a great episode to kick off the series because you get the sense when you are in an intimate space, like an intimate uh, relationship with someone like being a roommate, there's a certain level of trust that you just have to give that person. And in the case of someone who's in a residential treatment or a sober living house, you are turning over a whole lot of trust to the people that are running this house, 
to do the right thing, to not skim from you, to not, yeah, you're, you're expecting them to do the right thing. And in many cases, that's not happening. And in other cases, it is happening. And a lot of these houses get an undue bad rep because they are above board, but so many of them are unscrupulous and below board that it's, it's almost comical how much of a scammer they are. But in this, con- in this conversation um, or in this episode, not only is, are, is this series articulating the dangers of a confidence person, but like the links that a confidence person could go to ensure that they kept your money. And honestly, a narcissist, maybe a sociopath, will lie straight to your face. Y'all both know they lying, but you're the only one that leaves confused with the situation. Because I do believe that Dorothea Puente was a psychopath or sociopath. Um, Girl, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, watch this. It feels like a very good kickoff to the series. Um, and yeah, um, you're welcome to leave me a message. I, this is going to be a shorter episode to, because I just need it. I need to go lay down. Um, but yeah, feel free to leave some remarks in the show notes. Um, if you've watched this or the next episode, I have not watched the, the next episode in the series just yet. Um, because this one just kind of took me by surprise. Um, but yeah, if you have any thoughts or feelings about that, feel, feel free to click the show notes and leave me some notes. Um, or any tips on the fertility journey, leave, you're welcome to leave those notes too. Or if you want to have a dialogue about that, you're welcome to, to leave notes about that. But anyway, thank you in advance for liking this episode, sharing it with folks that you think might enjoy it. Um, because at the end of the day, this is still very much a hobby of mine and I go back and forth on whether or not I should keep doing this thing. But right now I'm in the keep doing this thing phase. So, um, yeah, just share this episode or any of my past episodes with someone that you think might enjoy it. Um, and rate the show favorably five, four or five stars, whatever you're moved with. I will read, um, favorable ratings or favorable messages on the show. So please go ahead and leave that and I'll give you a shout out. Um, and yeah, I guess last but not least, make sure you're taking care of yourself. If you're not feeling well, like me, I pray that you will be feeling better soon. Um, find a reason to laugh and smile today. Um, pat yourself on the back because you might not be doing everything that you want to do, but daggone it, you've done a lot already and you ought to be commended for that. Um, be kind to yourself you cannot allow people to be kinder to you than you are to yourself. I mean, really, you are the only you you got. Allow people to love you, but you got to love yourself too. You really do. All right, so enough of that. Anyway, I hope you were able to accomplish a few things or that you were about to accomplish a few things. Get that cardio in, read that book, finish that assignment book that trip, plan that itinerary. I hope you're able to do everything you intend to do today. All right. All right. All right. Well, have a good day, evening or night. Um, until next time.